Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella, with additional insight from industry veteran Jordan Kimmel. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. And good evening. I am Michael Hartzman. Today is Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. And as always, I'm on with my partner, Dominic Tavella. Good evening, Dominic. And how are you? Good evening, Mike. How are you this evening? I'm very well. Very well. I know we always start these shows with a quick wrap up of, of the day or, or last week. And today was an interesting one. And um, I'm going to look at the day as the glass half full. Because the morning started out pretty, pretty ugly with a pretty severe sell-off. And then Janet Yellen made a comment, I guess, around 11, 12 o'clock that she doesn't see how interest rates don't go up by the end of the year. And normally when you have a day, Dominic, where it starts out rough, we've seen more often than not that it ends worse than how it started. And, you know, the day kind of clawed back. The Dow Jones, I think, closed up a little bit. And, and the NASDAQ from its morning low actually made back almost 135 points. Still closed down 261 points. But like I said, I'm going to look at it as the glass half full because it looked like it was going to be a lot worse when the day started. Uh, you know, Mike, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, you know, storm clouds out there. And uh, although it wasn't significant at all, the S&P had another second week in a row, negative week last week. And um, but but it's been a really strange market action. Um, we've had company after company after company report just amazing earnings, uh, top line growth, profits. I mean, just off the charts numbers, over 80% of the companies that have reported, reported better than expected uh, earnings. Um, so you would think the market would just have just gone through the roof and it didn't last week. And that was already a, a warning sign for us. Um, and then um, today, the Yellen's news, there might have been a geopolitical event involving China, Taiwan. We're not really sure, but I think it was the excuse for people to start taking some money off the table. And we did see a little bit of a bounce back, but I'm, I'm not ready yet to uh, put all the chips in the middle of the table. You know, to quote the great philosopher Yogi Berra, it does seem like this is, seems like deja vu all over again, because I feel like we have this conversation almost every Tuesday. And looking at the numbers from last week, year to date, the S&P was up 11 and the Dow was up 11 and the NASDAQ is up eight and a half through the end of last week. And it just doesn't feel that way. It just feels like the market has been sloppy and kind of rudderless for the longest time. Well, look, I think the markets were anticipating um, that the economy would be back in gear and that earnings would be good, if not very good. And we had a run up to, to these numbers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now the companies are actually proving that they can make money, that they can be profitable. And, and in fact, a lot of these companies guided going forward that things could be 
good or even better, but maybe the market's just exhausted. Maybe we need a pause. Maybe we need a little bit of a step back. But when we get the kind of numbers we got from Amazon and Google and Facebook and Apple that were just off the charts good, and yet the NASDAQ went down, um, that that pretty much tells you it, it might be time to take some chips off the table and not jump it with both feet. Yes, exactly. Because I think what the market is signaling there is that expectations are just too high. And and I think expectations are um, beyond what, what even the market could um, deliver. Well, look, uh, I always, uh, to your line, the glass half full, um, earnings have been so good that Really, from a technical perspective, the market's not overvalued. Uh, in fact, uh, you would argue the market, even after what it's done so far this year, the market is more fairly valued today than it was on January 1st. But we've come a long way in just the, basically the first quarter. It's not unusual for markets to take a pause, maybe even a little bit of a pullback here. I still, I still overly positive on the markets, and I think if becomes a buying opportunity for us. I agree. And, you know, and I think, I think one of the things I would like to discuss with Jeremy Schwartz, who's a global head of research at Wisdom Tree, who's our guest this evening, is are certain headlines creeping into the market as well? Is the, is the semiconductor chip shortage creeping into the market? Is the fact that while we were hoping to get 70% herd immunity by the early summer, now there's some expectations that might not happen because of some vaccine hesitancy. Is that reluctance creeping into the market? So while things are okay from a corporate earnings point of view, there are still things, Dom, that the market appears to be worried about. Yeah, and that dreaded word, inflation. Almost every single company that's reporting is also reporting that the cost of goods, the input cost of pushing out their product is higher or substantially higher than they had hoped for or expected. It's got to eventually come out the pipeline into the consumer. So we have the perfect guest coming up to have these kind of conversations with. Exactly. So we will be right back with Jeremy Schwartz, the global head of research at Wisdom Tree, right after a quick break. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella, and we're happy to have Jeremy Schwartz from the Wisdom Tree a Family of ETFs with us this evening. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? Great, Michael. Thanks, to, thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. Good evening, Jeremy. Yeah. So let me just kick it off right right where we left off, Jeremy. And I, I, I know you heard our, our conversation. Is does the market, does the market just need a breather or some of the things I mentioned towards the end, some of these headlines that we keep hearing about, is that creeping into the psyche of the market and investors? You know, I think your point on Yellen, we've got to raise rates, inflation is coming. These are things you're hearing. I mean, everybody, we're all glued into to the Warren Buffett annual shareholders meeting that happens every every year. At this, It happened this Saturday. Buffett was talking about this inflation point that you were talking about. It's not like, who are you going to believe? Jerome Powell, who says inflation is transitory, or Buffett, who's seeing it actually in his rising prices, and he's saying we are rising prices. We think consumers can raise prices. And so this inflation thing is one of the dominating narratives. 
And you say, well, how does inflation tie into tech companies and growth versus value and all these things? But this, this when, when Yellen starts talking about rates moving up, what happened today? You had massive dispersion between growth and value and value stocks did relatively well. Growth stocks, which are viewed as these longer duration proxies kind of sold off on this idea that there is gonna be better growth. It's better for the more reopening type stocks, um, which, is, which is value stocks than sort of those traditional growth stocks. Uh, Jeremy, uh, so we all know interest rates go higher, basically large cap growth or growth stocks in general go lower. But you had some of these stocks that just had tremendous earnings. I mean, yeah. they just knocked the Amazons and the, the Alphabets. They just knocked it out of the park. Can you just ignore that kind of company with that kind of growth? I mean, the expectations were there already. So it shows you, you know, when you have high expectations, now they beat and they still don't go up. I mean, that is... That's an interesting sign of where you are in the cycle, that there could be some of this rotation under the hood that's a little bit longer lasting. I mean, that we'll have to see. I mean, it, what's interesting about these tech companies is that th they've been dominating not just the last few years, but really the last 10 years plus. And it's not completely just that they're getting more expensive, that they've actually been powered by underlying strong earnings, to your point. And the question is really, how long can these strong earnings last? Um, will they last forever? That's the that's the big question that people don't really know. So to your point, what, what are the expectations too high? And, and are the, the numbers that these companies printed already baked in the cake of these stock prices? If you look at consensus earnings now, we're starting to you know look at over $180 a share on the S&P 500 earnings. Or that gets you... At today's prices, right around a 23 PE ratio. A 23 PE is slightly above what we might consider fair value, but with interest rates being real, interest rates being negative, it's hard to say. To your point on earlier, that you know that's a a good equity premium. Stocks are reasonably priced given the negative rates on bonds. Um, you know, and so I, I the more earnings grow, that the the more you'll be those values are even supported. But, uh, you know, we do think it's, to your point, it's a fair, very fair value given the, the the negative rates you have on traditional bonds today. Hey, Jeremy, so so we, we saw those warning signs last week that was very troubling to me. We took a little chips off the table, feel good about that. But just about every client that comes, new client that's coming in the door, to your point, has a decade of owning the Apples and the Googles or a large gap growth fund or ETF, right? The portfolios are terribly concentrated. Um, it, maybe still take chips off the table there? Do you, do you rebalance? Do you, how aggressively do you rebalance? I, I think there's some really interesting opportunities around the world. I mean, so everybody's focused on the U.S. and we talk about large cap growth in the U.S., but it's really been U.S. versus foreign also because the U.S. is dominating by these tech companies. But when you look at, at where are their real values, I, I look at emerging markets as one of these long-term growth engines of the world and you could get emerging market companies at a 10 PE. I mean, we're talking about 23 times for the S&P 500. So this is half off the US. And you know, the question is, where is there better demographic? Where are there better underlying growth trends? I could argue that the EM markets have as strong, if not better, underlying fundamentals, but they're at more than a 50% discount to the US. 
with very reasonable three to four percent dividends, which is not something you get anywhere near in you know traditional S and P five hundred. Um, so there are opportunities around the world. I, I I did my own podcast last week on on Japan. Japan's small cap value is being identified as one of the sort of best opportunities in the world by by the team at GMO, um, and that was sort of an interesting view of of where's there's cheap companies around the world. So it's not it doesn't have to only be the U.S. markets that people get for uh, for good valuations. So just to be clear, Jeremy, um, Japan hasn't been has not been recategorized as an emerging market, has it? No, no, those are separate. So Japan is developed. It's one of the largest markets in the developed world. That's I'll just give you a second second example. That's what I thought. So going back to the EM um, point, is your enthusiasm for that tempered by the fact that uh, COVID seems to re? emerged and getting a grip on, say, India and, and slowing down some of these um, emerging market um, countries? Well, India also has a much younger population than we have here. So you think about where COVID was the most um, impactful and, and deadly was in the elderly population. And they are much younger. I mean, it's certainly not a good trend what they have, the spikes going on there. Um, but we were able to get things under control. I, I trust they will also be able to get things under control. And so the markets are very forward-looking and they sort of look past the dynamic. I mean, that's one of the things we learned last year is that there's short-term disruption, but the markets came back very, very quickly um, and looked ahead. Even it turns out a year ahead of anything that actually was was getting better, you know, and, and, and still we're not really completely reopened here. Um, you know, so I think they're going to do the same. They'll look past it. Um, and there's countries like Taiwan that, you know, when I talked about the EM small caps, Taiwan could be a quarter of these baskets, and they managed through this pandemic incredibly well. I mean, they had very little, it's, it's actually shocking, the comparisons when you see, you know, and, and there's a lot of reasons they went through the, pan, you know, earlier pandemics with SARS and, and learn from that. They do a lot more tracking and a lot less privacy there. So there's a lot more big tech surveillance in terms of how they could respond and, and sort of quarantine. But a lot of the Asian countries actually did fairly well despite India's you know, issues right now. Hey, Jeremy, we, we know that uh, higher interest rates are not gonna bode well for US tech, but how about EM markets? Don't they react better when uh, the dollar gets stronger? Well, EM, you know, interestingly, it, it's, it's generally been a weak dollar play. And the idea is a strong dollar, you know, there's a number of, and at least historically, there's a number of countries that would issue debt in dollars and a rising dollar would make their liabilities harder to pay back. And so then you would have these, these crises. Um, and so generally it was viewed as people are going to emerging markets in a weak dollar move, it's supportive. There's money flowing to those markets or the capital flow send the currencies up as in, people invest in those markets. So it tends to be dollar up is risk off. It's a little bit what you saw today in the markets, a little bit higher dollar, a little bit risk off. Sort of flight to safety is a flight to the dollar and a flight away from that. Um, but, you know, and, and I think generally people do view this as a big fiscal spending year, big deficits, and that being generally a down dollar. But that has been consensus for sure. Jeremy, you mentioned earlier a little sector rotation, and we could see it, you know, even in the numbers in the in the first four months of the year where healthcare and technology are, you know, some of the bottom sectors and and energy financials and real estate are some of the leaders. 
So you have any, um, could you share any hints with our, with our clients of what sectors you see um, staying strong for the rest of this year? Well, we, I, I think we do view this inflation narrative as one of the most important dominating themes for the markets. And so, you know, I, I, and we think it could be four to 5% for a number of years beyond this year. And so it's, what do you do for that? Well, sectors, some of it is commodities generally, you know, it's gonna be a challenge for rates. Yellen was saying short-term rates have to go up, but long-term rates have to go up. So how do you, what are the hedges to those bonds that may face more losses going forward. So commodities are a good basket, both the raw commodities, um, cyclical commodities, but then there's the companies. So any, you know, the, the, the more cyclical oriented companies that often is small caps. Um, that's often those emerging markets that I was talking about a little bit. Um, and so I, I think industrials is tied to the global growth upturn. That's another sector that it could be beneficial on this positive upswing in, in, in a very strong economy. So we've, we've seen commodities really rip this year. They, I mean, they're at an incredible high, but we do expect that to continue, I guess is the loaded question. Well, I mean, certain, in, in, in general, they're up. Um, gold has been facing a little bit of headwinds from the rising rate. So gold has had this, this weird dynamic of, of being the longer duration asset and sold off with bonds selling off. Um, so gold might have a little bit of a catch up there. Um, but the general strength in the overall economic activity, we do view there to still be some supply constraints and it to be very robust growth. So yeah, I mean, the commodities had a very poor decade, um, just sort of like everything but US large cap growth. So the underinvestment in, in CapEx has been supply is, is on the short side. And so as you get these rising demand, that, that's gonna shoot, I, we think it's gonna continue to, to impact prices. Jeremy, just to switch gears, um, I'll ask you to be a uh, five cent psychiatrist for two seconds. People like Jer Jerome Powell and, and, and Janet Yellen, they don't say anything by accident. Yeah. And Jerome Powell, has been saying over and over and over again, he's not raising interest rates in 2021. That's his goal. What do you think Janet Yellen's intended consequence was today? Was she sending a signal to Jerome Powell? Was she giving Jerome Powell cover to raise interest rates? I mean, she knew she was making a headline. What do you think she was trying to accomplish? There are times they make mistakes, um, but I think you're right that, you know, this was probably more intentional. And I think she's just reflecting the data. And, you know, it, it, it's these things happen gradually. You know, sometimes there's like the big speech where Draghi, you go think about Draghi's speech at Jackson Hole, where he said, we'll do whatever it takes to save the euro. And that sent, you know, it, it, it really quote was saved the crisis in the, in, in the European sovereign debt crisis back then. So they do make these statements to try to get the market you know, these big statements. I don't know that this is a big statement that what the Fed has to act right now because the Fed's been saying, we're gonna let inflation run hot. We're gonna let inflation run hot. We want it to go above our target. We undershot for a decade. It's gotta go above 2% for some time. But at some point after it does that, maybe she's seeing that this inflation is gonna be more, less transitory, more permanent. Then, you know, that is the message has got to start slowly trickling into the market to get the market comfortable so that when they actually do it, it's not as much of a shock. They don't like to shock the markets. They like to drip feed the markets their news. 
So she was giving Jerome Powell a little cover today is what you think might have happened. That, that seems to be true. I mean, I mean, Powell will speak for himself. And, you know, he did just say more or less that it was transitory. They're going to look past it. Um, but that could change, right? The, as they see, as they start to change their mind that inflation's real, then, then you know, they'll, they'll eventually act. The question is how quickly they, they view that it's real and not transitory. Jeremy, I, I read an article over the weekend, it may come out of the Berkshire meeting, but uh, that the price of lumber and copper and is adding as much as $30,000 to the average price of a home. I mean, that's inflationary. I don't, that, that's not likely to go away anytime soon. Um, can they still cover with this idea that the Fed, that, that oh, it's not going to be all that much, and when it is, it'll just be a one-time event? It's highly unlikely. The, and both of those go to exactly what we were just talking about. The lumber is, is the supply constraints on the mills to actually take the trees and get them into the, to the format that they need, that there's been a shutdown of the mills. And so that those don't come around overnight. And copper is, is kind of similar that the, they haven't really been doing as much capital expenditures to up the supply of, of copper. And so you got this robust market and, and those, so those, those things aren't, they're not immediate things you can solve. And so I think you're you're right on on those issues. That that is that is what we're seeing too. That these these things are going to be longer lasting. And and would you would you put the semiconductor shortage in the same category? You're hearing that. I mean, I think the Intel CEO said it's going to be a few year cycle. I mean, this is it's exactly what we're saying that inflation is going to be here for a few years through this cycle. That it's, it's as much about the money in the system as the supply constraints. You know, if there was just bountiful supply, then there's less, less pressure, but we think there are gonna be supply constraints. So this is economics 101, right? Supply and demand. Exactly right. And then when, uh, and some of us have lived through the, the early eighties and the bond vigilantes, when does the bond market go enough is enough? Well, I'd say it's starting to. I mean, you know, the, the tenure started at 1% and it went quickly to 175 in just a few months. It's, it's trailed back down, um, but it's still a pretty sharp rise from the start of the year, from the middle of last year, 10 years up over a percent. We think it could get to two to three um, by the end of the year. Um, I mean, well, two by the end of the year, but pushing towards three towards, towards next year. Um, it, it doesn't seem overly sharp. There's always people who want these risk asset hedges that bonds provide. So there's always an, another offset on the demand side. Um, but yeah, we think that these are rates still have to rise. So rates are rising, inflation's on the horizon. Um, there's some shortages and some really um, important products. Does that affect Biden's infrastructure plan and, and what he's trying to get done in Washington? Well, I think the strong growth is also, you know, confronting his narrative that the economy is so weak that we need additional things. I mean, there's there's general basic infrastructure. You're in the Northeast corridor. You see the train system. You see all the outdated things that there are things that we can do a lot of infrastructure improvements on. Um, but the question is, what will there be general agreements on? And you know, I think that is that's where the debates are, and and this and he, he, the the strong economy in a way is offsetting. Hey, we need this now, you know, because of a, a of a weak economy. So the question will then be, how do they how do they negotiate? And you do have moderate Democrats who who aren't going to be fully supportive of, of of dramatic tax increases, 
um, to, to offset it. And so it's gonna be interesting negotiations of how they how they come together to, to get a package. But I think generally there's been, been approved agreement we need it in some form. It's just a matter of where does that those politics shake out. Um, curious, uh, in your opinion, Jeremy, buy, uh, uh, sell in May and go away? Uh, you have an opinion on that one? Timing is always very, very hard. I mean, timing the market is, is a very tricky question. We, you know, we are starting to do some work on a managed future strategy, and we are doing some more work on tactical signals. I'll have more to talk about on that over time, sort of risk on, risk off. It was starting to flash a little more defensive in small caps after a really big run this month. Um, we're going to have a, a few more updates on the signals in just a few days just to see where they are. Um, so I, I could see certain, you know, certain parts of the market getting a little bit more defensive to your point. Um, but no, we do expect overall a good year, good earnings, good economic growth. All that is generally supportive for the markets. So in spite of some of the uh, agita that we've experienced in the last few days and weeks, um, the growth of the economy, the, the, the great numbers we're expecting in the GDP, we, you, Wisdom Tree and you guys still expect some good things for the rest of 2021. Very much still robust economy, higher corporate profits, and that, that supports the, the, the economic and, and, and valuation story. Uh, I hate to put you on the spot, Jeremy, but you mentioned $180 in earnings on the S&P, but we're starting to hear whisper numbers. It might be as close as $200. Yes. Any, any opinions on that? Siegel, uh, you know, I work closely with Professor Siegel, who you've had on. We were talking about that just last week, that in his robust, optimistic scenario, it could get up to 190 to 200 in a really strong economy. So it's it's certainly possible. Um, and, and that would obviously just support earnings even more. I still 21 times on that type of number. Uh, so it's not like a, a, a cheap, cheap part of the market, but that would be very supportive for the overall overall markets and valuations. Terrific. And I, and I guess what we'll, we will worry about these other items as 2021 starts to wind down. And a lot of them sound like 2022 problems is what is what you're basically saying, which will be good news for our clients, I suppose, for this year, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a general supportive backdrop for equities. Be careful on bonds with these rising rates and inflation pressures. And so look, look for alternative ways to protect those, to get diversification and more interesting, uh, interesting diversifiers away from traditional bonds. Jeremy, we covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. And, as, and none of it was, was scripted. And uh, we really had you bouncing all over the place. So thank you for your time and your insight. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Dominic. Appreciate your insights. Thank you, Jeremy. We will be right back. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. And welcome back to the Labethal Report. I'm Jordan Kimmel, Chief Equity Strategist and Portfolio Manager. And it is a fun time, a privilege to bring back on Jeff Hirsch, my friend, my colleague, and the only guy I brought on twice so far, Jeff. So welcome ah. back to the show. 
I'm honored. Thanks, Jordan. Good to see All you, right. buddy. Well, Jeff, it's early May. I know how busy you're going to be this month. Uh, the stock traders almanac basically delivered the message of sell in May, go away a long time ago, uh, along with many other, you know, mm -hmm. really widely followed seasonal patterns. What I want to do first is give you a chance. I know that history, again, I love your quotes, history rhymes, not repeats. Uh, you've actually done some great work to the sell in May and go away. Mm -hmm. So take it away, Jeff. Well, sell in May and go away is not something we actually do. We don't go away. We do sell some things. We reposition in May. You know, everyone knows now that that's the old British saw, sell, away, sell in May and go away, coming back on St. Ledger's Day. Everyone left London in May and, you know, went up to the country hunting fox and horse racing and came back in the, for the London season after the St. Ledger Stakes race in September, which runs very close with our Memorial Day through Labor Day season where volume dries up. People like uh, in the market, like ourselves, do other things, get away from the desk, play some golf, do things for the kids. Wall Street used to go out to the Hamptons on Friday afternoon. Now they're just out there after the <laughs> pandemic. They just stayed out there. Right. Can't and blame Montauk. them. Montauk. Montauk. Well, that is actually in the town of East Hampton, <laughs> believe it or not. But uh, I think people are going to be getting back to that more normal uh, vacation, you know, period um, all around the world with the, you know, things opening up again. But, um, you know, Yale invented this best six months switching strategy, which is what we call it. We've been forced to use the phrase sell in May because everyone says it. I like to say you got to, you can't, you know, sell in May and go away unless you buy in October and get yourself sober. But, you know, <laughs> okay. I like it. We look for um, a MACD trigger signal, technical indicator developed by the late great Jerry Appel, his son Marvin still running the show over there. And another one who's left us, Cy Harding, put it in his book, Ride of the Bear, back in 1999, where he combined Yale's, our Stock Traders Almanac best six months switching strategy with the MACD moving average convergence divergence technical indicator. So we have formulated a, 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 our strategy around that. We start looking for a sell signal for the Dow and the S&Ps end of the best six months or worst six months, as we call it, on or about April the 1st. We, I'll tell you now, we had our sell signal on April 22nd on the close. Hmm. NASDAQ runs the best eight months, also a page in the Almanac from November through June, not just November through April. Okay. Uh, so we'll look for that NASDAQ sell signal starting June 1st. We look for a crossover. We got a pretty good crossover. You, you're a technical uh, analyst at, at by trade and at heart. Um, amongst the fundamentalists, you taught me some of that stuff to combine them both. Right. Uh, but we, uh, we had a nice trigger above the zero line with a crossover. The histogram, you know, went negative. Um, so it's it's quite timely at the end of April. Uh, things are frothy. You know, we look at fundamentals, technicals, monetary policy, sentiment. We had a lot of sentiment, valuation side, technicals rolling over, market internals weak. Um, but we still have a supportive Fed. And we still have some uh, fiscal stimulus coming down the pike and more of it. And we think that's going to keep a floor on the uh, worst six months. But uh, we're still sticking with the system. We, we expect some pullbacks, nothing, nothing sinister, nothing, you know, deep, maybe five to 10 percent sideways action like you see on the historical averages. So a return to, to normal seasonal patterns and, and more normal human behavior, which drives the market and, and the flow of cash in and out of the market. Perfect, Jeff. I, I, I love it. And look, the fact is, is that we're in unusual times. I think we're always in unusual times. I think since I'm in the business. 
but our clients already received the full year's expectation already. Mm -hmm. and, and we want to protect it. But again, as fiduciaries, we don't go away. Okay. So, right. so Me, one of the us either. Right. So one of the things I want to share, and you're in the money management business too. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to share, one of our first guests was a mutual friend of ours, Sam Stovall, ah. who, who takes a different approach of not sell away, but it's there's a sector rotation. We, we do that too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I want to bring that out. And, and so we're in the Northeast. We know not to plant tomatoes in November, right? It would be great if there was just a trigger day to Listen. plant and, and harvest. Last year, I planted some stuff too early. You got to wait till Mother's Day. <laughs> so, so get into this, this idea that um, it's not binary. There's other things no. that you do. So we do, you know, we did sell our spiders and diamonds, you know, the, the DIA and SPY ETFs for the Dow and the S&P. We'll move okay. into some bonds. We got out of a couple of other weak sectors, real estate, you know, seasonally weak sectors, real estate and materials. Okay. And, you know, we don't sell stocks. We let winners ride. We only sell losers. We tighten up stops. We'll look for a more defensive basket of stocks and sectors that do well during the worst six months, maybe kick off a little dividend. Whereas around, a, you know, by in, in October period, we'll be looking for growth stocks, your kind of magnet stocks that you love, that kind of stuff. Um, and we're rotating to other sectors. You know, uh, utilities is a great sector for the worst six months as air conditioning cranks up and electricity gets used and all that kind of kind of thing. And staples um, tend to be good. Discretionary is all right. Um, biotech starts to pick up in the summer. So there's a whole, you know, calendar of, of seasonal sector plays and some commodity ones also. Right. So, so Jeff, let me bring this into here. Um, we're going to bring on Mike and Dom, who are intrigued sure. again by the history of, of what the Almanac's about. But I want to bring something else out, thinking a little bit longer term as we do it at Labenthal. I want to talk a little bit about the presidential cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit longer. It gives us a chance to look out further. Tell me you know, what to expect, what we see, what we think in terms of the presidential cycle itself first. Yeah. Well, just since we're right here in May, May is a bit better in the, in the post-election year than it is in other years. So we've got that going for us as well. Um, post-election years have gotten better over the years. Midterm mm -hmm. years, that's, this is the year we're in, the first year of the president's term. Um, Midterm year is still difficult. Election year has gotten worse. Pre-election year, the third year of the cycle, still stand up, you know, like, like we had um, in, in, uh, in 19. But, uh, you know, what, what we're seeing here is a, a, a first term, uh, you know, Democrat. Uh, there's only been four of those since, um, you know, 1950, Kennedy, Carter, uh, JFK and Clinton. First term, you know, Democrats, uh, they both they all came in with with um, Democratic control of Congress and average gains like 10.6 percent, median gain about 15 percent. Carter, if you guys will remember, I'm sure you will had a very difficult first year with uh, stagflation, hyperinflation, and slowing economy. Um, we had some oil embargo stuff. But the four-year cycle here isn't as negative as it used to be for the post-election year. So that's positive. Next year, it's more concerning. And then again, you know, in uh, 24, when we have another election year. Right. Well, we have a little bit of water under the bridge before them. Hey, Don, Mike, anything you're thinking about? Anything you want to throw out? Dom, you could go first. Uh-oh. Um, so, <laughs> hey, Jeff, how are you? Good to see you, Dom. 
Um, so I, I brought it up earlier. We, we, we kind of looked at the market action last week, and I think it falls right into your your uh, data about, uh, you know, when those signals, but we looked at how really, really positive the company earnings were, and yet mm -hmm. the market was just flat, right? And, and the NASDAQ, I think, was negative for the week. So does that really kind of give us a strong hint of what we can expect over the next couple of weeks? I mean, a lot of that earnings stuff was baked in ahead of time. This market's been been baking in a lot of things in the future. Market's a forward-looking mechanism. It's a barometer. There's an old saying, you know, the Dow triples while earnings remains flat, and while earnings rise, things things go you know sideways. But um, I, I think we've we've seen the anticipation of good earnings. I think the um, comparisons are going to start to get a little bit more difficult. I think we still have another quarter or so uh, of of uh, easier comparisons. But the market looks out, you know, six eight months or, or further. So we're starting to look, you know, into the uh, fourth quarter already, where we had a pretty. You remember that November we had with the Russell, uh, uh, you know, it was was pretty strong. So it, it all lines up. The, the earnings were sort of baked in. Uh, we've had, you know, sentiment's been really frothy for a long time. The technicals are rolling over. You see it in the advanced decline line on the new highs, the lows. So I think it is a bit, you know, indicative of what we can expect over the next several weeks. But uh, you know, we had a some some rallying off the bottoms today you know nasdaq looking looking a little difficult i'm not sure what janet yellen was trying to pull but um maybe, maybe she she forgot the kind of clout she has when she says uh things about the word inflation so um I, i'm i'm cautious going forward here but not frightened not bearish just repositioning spring cleaning tightening up stops clearing out losers moving into other sectors and um getting ready for a, a you know fatter pitch later in, in the summer and fall. So Jeff, you just said something which is causing me to completely ask you a different question. Um, uh -oh. It's 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 going to be an easy one, probably easier than the first one. Um, you mentioned sectors you're moving into and out of, and we talked about that with our earlier guest. Could What sectors do you like right now for the rest of the year? I don't necessarily look at it for the rest of the year. I'm looking at it for the next six months and then I'll get back into the big October, you know, seasonal time where all the sectors come back into play. As I said, we're rolling into, um, you know, utilities. We've got a buyout on there. We'll be looking at some other things. We're, we're kind of getting out of some of the sectors that have run their course. Um, I think there's going to be some more spending with all the money going out there than the staples and the consumer area tech, um, you know, is a place that, you know, you're constantly there. My favorite sector for the future is biotech. I think that's going to be, we saw it with the vaccines. I think that's something not just for this year, but forever. And we've been, Jordan and I have been talking about that for a long time. That's, that's the new, you know, what I call the uh, cultural enabling paradigm shifting technology, like the microprocessor was back in the seventies and eighties. This is something that's going to change the world. It already has, I mean, vaccine in, in, in less than a year, uh, you know, amazing what they're doing there. So, um, you know, we'll look for our, we'll look for our spots, but nothing straight up for the rest of the year. Just you know, without without looking at the seasonals. Right. So, so Jeff, I want to ask you a couple other things because, again, as a historian, the stock traders' almanac really is a blueprint for what happened. We don't know what's exactly going to happen, but the the question I'm asking is, you know, we 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 sit down with clients and they say, listen, if you could really compound my money at 9% or 8%, I'd be thrilled. Then we go into a market like this and everyone wants more, more, more. 
you know, kind of share with us like what's historical, what's expected. And, and the fact is, is that if history repeats itself at the end of the century, the Dow will be over a million. Um, <laughs> Share with us, like, what's the what, story? What about, what about 38,820, bud? Well, that was your call, and it was a beautiful call. And that's your Back book, in 2010. Jeff, you're right on time. Uh, I'm thinking all the way out, but I want to really just share expectations and what's expected, what? not, not um, digital coins. What's really expected in the stock market? Well, we did a study uh, about reversion to the mean, rolling, you know, one-year returns. And when we came around on March 23rd, it was, what, like 75% rolling one-year return for the S&P. We saw that before. Last time we hit those kinds of numbers was 2010. We had the May flash crash. Keep that in mind, the May flash crash. But the, the mean is about 9.1 and 9.2%. So you said 9% compounding. I think that's what people are going to be looking, what, what they should be looking to expect going forward, more normal returns. I don't think we're going to be up 75% from March 23rd, 21 to March 23rd, 2022, probably more in the 9%, 10% area. And that's what they should expect. You want that's to, a heck you know, of a return. It's a heck of a return. Compound that, you know, you're doubling your money in what, five years? You do the math faster than me, Jordan, I know. But um <clears throat> I think that's what people can expect. Uh, you know, probably next year, you know, one of those midterm, you know, mini bears uh, towards the, the summer, you know, somewhere between the August, September, October period, maybe another May, June whack like we used to have in the old days. Uh -huh. Depends upon, you know, when the seasonals line up with the, the news flow and the fundamentals and the technicals um, at the same time, which is what we're seeing here. I mean, this is a classic best six months end and worst six months beginning with the market way up in April, uh, valuations high, sentiment high, tech, <clears throat> technicals, you know, getting, uh, um, you know, a little heavy. And, um, you know, I would expect not much over the next several months, but some right. pullbacks probably end up being flat, you know, <clears throat> come Labor Day or... or um, let Dom and Mike <clears throat> jump in. I know they've gotten <clears throat> more defensive. We, we have had a great, great first quarter. It's a matter of of really being fiduciary, and and Don Mike, take it away from here. Just one quick question, Jeff. Uh, uh, we looked at flows this morning, and retail buying into the market was just a just a huge number. Yet institutional and hedge funds were net sellers. Mm -hmm. um, do you look at that data? Do you judge how that ends up working out for the average investor? I mean, I look at the COT report. <clears throat> which I think is sort of what you're you're talking about more than just the flows, which is, you know, I look at that on the S&Ps. They got the small speculators, large speculators, and the hedgers. I haven't looked at that recently, but I think that's indicative. I mean, I've been saying <clears throat> with all the Robin Hood stuff, like the institutions are going to crush these, these, these small fry. And these people are shorting every rally and buying every, I mean, they don't have the, the people, the young ones don't realize that they don't have the power that the institutions have. So I go with the institutions. That's what drives all these seasonalities that I look at. I mean, when we discovered the new mid-month spike that I know Jordan's familiar of in, in the month, we looked and found that, you know, that's the, the payroll deductions, the mid-month payroll deductions going into all the, the 401ks and the IRAs. The fund managers got to put that to work. That's where you have that strength mid-month now. So most definitely listen to the, to the institutions and, and the um, money managers and the hedge funds. And I'm glad to hear you guys are getting a little defensive right here. Right. Jeff, I remember yeah, we, you used to call them the locals and the... The small specs. Right, right. And the large specs. 
Mike, why don't you wrap it up with us? So, Jeffrey, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to ask you a question, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. If any of our listeners and clients want to subscribe to your newsletter, how would they be able to do that? StockTradersAlmanac.com. And if they need a little promo code to save a couple bucks, they can email us through there. Um, there's also, uh, it says Get STA up in the menu bar where you get the Almanac for free and there's a little, you know, savings code there. It's about 150 bucks a year, um, 250 for two. Quite a deal. Such a deal. Well, well, Worth Jeff, listen, penny. I know, I hope your sons are, are in your footsteps. I know what you've built and your dad built. It's a legendary brand. The Stock Traders All Men is something I look forward to receiving every year. And it's a pleasure to have you on and the insights. You're going to have a very, very busy month, I know. So thanks Hopefully. for taking the early time out for us right now. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate the insight. Thank you. Take care. And we'll be back with more Labenthal Report following a real quick break. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman back with Dominic, and uh, you know, Don. What made what made our second guest especially fun is Wall Street is a business of cliches and a business of expressions, and and sell it may and go away. It not only does it rhyme, but it's been around forever, and and it was pretty cool to have Jeff Hirsch, whose dad Yale Hirsch actually came up with that expression. And, um, you know, Jeff has built a business around it. But just to be clear, it doesn't literally mean sell everything in May and come back in October. But it is a good time to do a little spring cleaning, I think, is what he's trying to say. Yeah, I, I love that line. Time to do some spring cleaning. And, and I think that's something we try to really spend a lot of time with our own clients that you need to rotate the portfolio, this idea that you're going to buy an individual stock or a, a mutual fund or an ETF and hold on to it forever. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in your best interest. So uh, I love both our guests. They were so definitive and action oriented and move forward. And uh, I loved it. I, th I think they both added an incredible amount of value to our, our asset management business and what our clients understanding of it should be. Yeah, I think I think Jeremy, Jeremy Schwartz, you know, he laid out a, a bunch of different topics. And as you know, he works very closely with Dr. Jeremy Siegel, who we've had on a couple of times and, um, you know, these guys are bullish, but they could always make the case. It's not just um, naively bullish or not blindly bullish. They're able to make the case for not worrying and not panicking. Um, so let's start with the word bullish. Yeah, I think both of them were very, very optimistic about at least the balance of this year. Right. But also this need that, hey, certain things have worked really well. It's time to harvest some profits, maybe rotate those dollars. I love the areas they picked out, utilities, biotechs, the areas that have kind of been disappointing this year. Right. So, hey, sell high, buy low. What a concept. Yeah, biotechs especially. Right. Because, you know, bi biotechs really is transformational and, and the technology is is coming at us so quickly 
um, to save people's lives and to extend people's lifespans, which is what we talked about last week, that you can't look at biotech as a rotational investment. You have to really look at something that that should be something that at least a piece of it should be in your in your asset allocation for a very, very long time. And, and uh, listen, I think I, most of our clients are aware, but not only do we have a healthcare exposure in every single portfolio, we actually added to that healthcare exposure on Friday. Look, it had underperformed versus the S&P 500. I thought we were going to be buying it a little bit cheap, maybe cheaper tomorrow, but uh, these are long-term uh trends, the population getting older, all of us living longer. I think that's a great spot to have extra dollars sitting for a little while. I, and, and I obviously agree with you. And, and it also ties back into what, what the government tried to do when they rolled out these vaccines. And when there was vaccine hesitancy, they tried to explain to them that this technology that the vaccine sits on the chassis, this NR, I think it's called mRNA, has been around a while. It's it's actually the technology is not new at all. Look, it, it takes us all time to absorb this. The idea that we would all be walking around with artificial knees and joints and hips and you know, all the procedures that are now are done, it takes time. But the key for us as investors is to say, where is the trend going? And you have to believe the fact that we're all living longer, we're all going to need healthcare for a longer time. Not only is bio a great place, but healthcare in general is a core holding for us. And I think it will be for the foreseeable future. I think it will too. And look, we, we, we always try to close these shows on, on an up note and and even after a rough day and a rough couple of days, the point is don't panic. As, as, as Jeff Hirsch said, you have to be in it for the long haul and do a little spring cleaning, but you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And Mike, really quickly, because I know we're running out of time. We've been talking about this for a long time on this show. We've been warning our own clients to expect this. None of this should be a surprise. Exactly. Well, that's a wrap, my friend. And um, we will see you all back here next week. And thank you for joining us. Have a great evening, Mike. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic, Michael, and Jordan will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.